0: And now, Hollywood Prospectus.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hold your applause. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Prospectus podcast. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer for greatland.com. And on the other line, he just dug up a bird in a box. It's Andy Greenwald!
0: I keep them all over the yard. That's <laughs> like the beauty. With living birds. Birds, you never know. <laughs> you just never know. You never know when you might need a small living bird yeah. that's been extracted, harvested from the earth.
1: Uh, Andy, we are here you to know, talk like a, a little bit about the first episode of the second season of The Leftovers, mm-hmm. uh, the first mm-hmm. episode of the 37th season of Homeland,
0: and uh, yeah. whatever else and comes to And the first episode of the... S- wait. The first episode <laughs> of the second season of The Affair psych no we're not talk, we're not talk about psych. <laughs> sorry maura we're Definitely not talking nah. about that um andy let's jump right mm-hmm. into the leftovers
1: uh so when did you, did you get your producer guild uh
0: like notification yet are you are you good i'm a little embarrassed that it had to come out this way that you and i did some deep consulting work on <laughs> yeah. the show you know we you know we try to be good managers in that we want our presence to be felt, but, like, we don't want to be heavy-handed. So right. it's not like we were hanging right. around the writer's room.
1: Zappos-style we management. There. No titles.
0: That's right. <laughs> Why That's don't right. You, no titles and secretly... Re- tell people what we're talking rebuilding about. ...rebuilding Las Vegas. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Leftovers, season two, premiered last night. And then, because uh, this is 2015, after the season premiere, there were a couple interviews um, reflecting on the events of of the televised televised... Series And um, Damon Lindelof, the, the creator, showrunner of The Leftovers, did an interview with our man Joe Adalian over at Vulture and ask and so Joe asked specifically about the first 10 minutes of the episode, yes. which were, I believe the technical term is crazy. <laughs> I, I, I could be slightly, that might be French, but... Uh, and the response that Damon gave, and this is in Vulture, is that uh, quick aside about was, that. I, I don't need. Even... No, go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. Well, I don't know why I'm. I, I'm starting to adopt a, a joking tone, And in fact this was really nice. It was very, very flattering. So basically, Damon said that 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 he and the other writers in the room listened to this show, the one we're recording right now, <laughs> and they do this despite of despite the fact that we probably were you know not big fans. Of the leftover season one uh we were very vocal i would say but it did anti-fans. provide a lot of mirth we did we had a great time <laughs> and, and i feel like that gets under underreported, underrated um so they listened to they listened to us despite that and when they were kicking around ideas for how to like welcome viewers back to the second season and maybe attract some um some non-believers and they came up with this idea of having a sort of clan of the cave bear homage in which a naked, pregnant, prehistoric woman gives violent, bloody birth to a baby and then dies from a separating snake wound. <laughs> um, she wanted them eggs, that, man. That would be a, <laughs> that, She just wanted to eat them eggs. She, that's what you should bury in the yard, by the way. Forget like a living bird. Yeah. Uh, they thought that if they did that, that we would definitely hate it. and It would piss us off. Yeah. And... I was very touched by this because I have to tell you, Chris, that when I watched the premiere in the sanctity of my home last week, my first thought was that I was being trolled, that I was aggressively being trolled by this show. And it was actually kind of reassuring that that wasn't just an enormous ego, that that's actually what was happening. Yeah. How how did you feel about this when you found this out?
1: I I personally, I did not feel personally trolled. Uh, I was tucking into a really beautiful uh, whole wheat spaghetti with a like a oh. nice marinara and i was just like this this is great because i like it when my sundays are full you know i love i love a full sunday mm. full of entertainment and sport and i i feel like i had that um what i think i you know was quickly reminded about like was Prometheus, actually, um, when we were when I was watching it. Okay. I was like – because Lind- that's another thing that David Lindelof worked on, which is the, the prequel to Alien that Ridley Scott directed a couple years ago. And um, as this episode kind of uh, rolled out, I couldn't help but think about how much uh, scholarship was kind of done around Prometheus. Specifically, I think there's a blog post that we've talked about before that was just like thrown up on a live oh, journal yeah. somewhere that was like this incredible symbological – uh, mythological reading of, Prome- of Prometheus and uh, the, the film Prometheus. And I was like, somebody's going to do that with this. Because the way that they have sort of positioned this from Jarden, a.k.a. Garden, a.k.a. Eden, to the prehistoric with, with, uh, stuff. With the daughter's name.
0: The, Eve. The, the, yeah, right. The daughter's name is Eve. So and yeah. the
1: prehistoric stuff that they began the season with, all the animal sacrifice and various animal and river imagery that we have i mean this is going to be something that i think people are going to spend a lot of time uh picking apart and not picking apart in the way that we did last season with like why are they smoking so much but picking apart in the way that they used to pick apart lost and pick apart in the way that they used to pick apart prometheus that's exciting yeah but i think it yeah yeah, starts a larger conversation about what uh about damon lindelof's art and what is at the center after you get all the way, after you're done picking apart, and when you get to the characters and the story and the storytelling, like what's there?
0: Yes, I think that's all, those are all very, very, uh, very fair points, And the reason, I didn't feel personally trolled in that I thought they were actually going to mention us in an interview. I, I just felt personally trolled in the fact that all of the press leading up to this season. That would have been dope t- if the two hippies on the outside of town who were getting beaten to death named Chris yeah. and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they just had like James Crumley novels and Ryan Adams albums on their, head, on their yeah. iPods. Um, Sicario. Well, I, we haven't seen the whole season. <laughs> What's that? It's very possible. Yeah. It's very possible. We have not seen the whole season. Um, yeah, it, it was more that everything that leading up to the last night's episode suggested a pretty hard creative reboot, and all of it seemed very, very promising. Um, so to begin with something that seemed very, 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 um, exclusionary was sort of shocking to me. Right. Um, it reminded me of the things that I disliked the most in the first season, which was a show reaching for the high shelf of imagery and ideas when it hadn't really earned the right to the step stool. Like, I, I appreciated the biblical imagery in this as I did it last season, but I didn't really value the connection of those heavy ideas to Kevin Garvey's pain cave. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the imagery did not sync with the human behavior to me, and that was off-putting. And so I felt that again. But uh, the opening was a not a – not a – quick 10 minutes it was definitely an involved <laughs> 10 minutes um that i found very uncomfortable and not very pleasant to watch but as soon as it was over the show is demonstrably better yes. and i, I and, and i think that to, to to bring this full circle what's so interesting about the show and i've seen three episodes now and i wrote a piece today that that you very kindly described as long <laughs> um, not not inaccurate <laughs> by the way uh the show is just obviously, obviously better. But what's interesting to me about it is the way it's reflective of, of Lindelof as a storyteller, as a writer, as a TV person. And, you know, we should say as an aside, we've never met him. Um, he – we did know that he listened to our show um, and is a clearly a kind and generous person and a masochist because he did listen to all the things we said about The Leftovers right. to hear what we said about other shows. But um, here's the thing. Here's the thing that struck me about these three episodes. Um, and we we won't spoil anything. We'll just talk about last night's in specific. But here's the thing: of, here's the thing. Not just about those episodes, about Damon Lindelof. He is really, really good at story. He is really, really good at the stuff that is necessary to make television. And it's not just me saying this as a huge fan of Lost. Like this is his reputation around Hollywood and around the industry. Like mm-hmm. he's some, he's kind of a savant of yeah, he, taking big he ideas is, and putting you know, them on the page.
1: Went in and fixed World War Z, for instance. Like that's something that yes. he is capable of doing.
0: Yeah. He, he can take the biggest ideas and winnow them down to the sharpest, most specific right. points and tell the story. And, you know, he, obviously there was a lot of that in Lost where he would basically um, unspool an entire character's background and psyche through these tiny flashbacks mm-hmm. so that by the end of the episode, we understood them in a way that didn't really feel forced, even though it was kind of a, a an impressive parlor trick. Next week, unfortunately, to some degree, we, we, we go back to the Garvey's as our POV and... Um, he brings us up to speed with them with these vignettes of basically the time that that elapsed between seasons Mm -hmm. and it's just it's breathtaking it's breathtaking because he's telling this pretty big story to get them from point a to point z and he does it like bang 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 he picks the best moments um And so I'm watching this, and I'm just thinking, God, this just works so much better. He he solved the show like a math problem. It is more active now. It is more engaging. It's not about reacting and being depressed. It's about trying to figure out what's next. And these are these – those seem like subtle pivots, but they make all the difference in the world. So So just from a storytelling perspective, did you enjoy that more seeing that in the first episode?
1: um, Okay, so the first – this first episode, which largely follows the – what's the family's name? Murphy family. Um, Was – Really, really engaging, just because you can already see, not so subtly, that each of these characters has something darker at the heart of them, even though they seem as yeah. American as apple pie. Not to put too heavy a point on it, and um I thought the performances were almost uniformly great, Uh and, and especially yeah. the two kids, I thought were really engaging. The entire time I was watching it, I was like... I can't tell how much I am purely enjoying this and how much I am enjoying this because the question-asking part of my brain is engaged. Do you know what I mean? Like, the detective mm-hmm. part of your brain as a as a viewer is engaged. So you're like, what does this mean? What is the bird? What is the river? What is the goat? What is the importance of the 10-minute sequence? Um, you know, I've read recaps that invoked Ray Bradbury. I've read recaps that invoked you know, like the beginning of 2001 a, a peter,
0: what's that and also uh peter weir's peter weir's picnic at hanging rock yeah um yeah there are all these like very um i wouldn't call them obscure references but there are a ton of references and actually that's one of the things that keeps me a little bit on the fence because there's so many things even just in this first episode and this continues in episodes two and three but there are so many things thrown at us yeah and sometimes i wonder if it's just simply too much like he's built this new world that's fascinating and the specific details are so good from you know the perfect strangers gag to selling the bottled reservoir water to, to tourists right. to the fact that people are wearing and there's just fans. enough like mystery little, like with the details. guy who's
1: standing up in the tower is like what's he about the way yes. everybody reacts to the goat sacrifice in the diners is, uh, is perfect you're just like this is the equivalent of if a guy came in and started singing or, or begging or whatever um but the thing that was interesting was that i haven't that that part of my brain that was like that sadly was not engaged by True Detective. But it reminded me towards the end of Mad Men, where you were at once sort of watching these characters kind of wind down, but you were mostly just like, where's this going, where's this going, where's this going? I mean, that's that's how I was watching it. You know, and
0: you're just sort of... So it's like an,
1: it was almost like, like a impatience. meta-television experience or a meta-storytelling te- experience where you're not really present with the story. You're more present with the mechanics of the story and trying to almost play chess with the person who's telling you the story about, oh, what are you doing here? So you're going to go over here now? Oh, you're going to do this? And even with those scenes from next week, I was like, ah, so you're going to do the same day, but from their perspective. And then I was like, oh, but then we have to bring back, you know, in some capacity, Amy Brenneman and the the son or whatever, because obviously with the the child that Nora adopts at the end of last season, there has to be some union. I think I've you know, whatever. But like, you're just starting to think like, so how many episodes until we can actually get into what's going on here And it? It's a very, I, I, you know, you've talked a lot about Lindelof, Lindelof as a storyteller, Lindelof as creative mind. It's very telling that you're doing that because this is largely being positioned as his season, right? Like, it was Parada's book that the first season was based on. Even in the beginning, Peter Berg was involved, at least in the direction of the pilot, right? Yeah. Um, this, is, this is now his ship, right? And so these are the kind of questions you ask when you're riding his boat.
0: Yes, um, and it's not Penny's boat. That's for sure um, no, no. for all the lost heads out there. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one thing that he said, and he, he did a, um, you know, I was about to say he did a good interview. He only does good interviews. I hope I get to talk to him so at some point because he did a really, really long no, interview with you. Alan Stepenwald that was very <laughs> revealing. I know he hates us, um, especially after today. Uh, he did a very long interview with... Um, with with uh with Alan Sepinwall and I I think it's in this one where he's basically saying something that I actually agree with even though I often fall into the habit of doing it which is he sort of resists the auteur theory of TV which right. I think is really important to do because it's hugely collaborative he has a room of people of he course. has production designers and composers and all these things but the larger point that you're making absolutely stands because he's in charge yeah um it's his vision um tom parada who wrote the novel is on the writing staff and is a valued producer and contributor and you know it was a collaboration but this is what what, this is him running things and well even just the
1: idea of a second season hard reboot is or soft reboot or whatever but that's that's a very Lindelof idea you know
0: Yeah, and it also does seem... I mean, here's the other thing that I think is fascinating about this. Uh, I actually want to come back to what you said about meta-watching it, but if you want to continue meta-watching it, it's kind of worth watching to see, like, this is what HBO does, is that HBO empowers people. Sometimes, and they give them all the rope that they need, and sometimes they use that rope for ill, like, you know, a John from Cincinnati situation, although I know that show has its defenders. But HBO really doesn't get involved. Like, they will let people get as close to an auteur-type situation as possible. Yeah, And... In light of that, you can definitely see the first season as very, very, very reflective of who this guy is, and like kind of an open nerve. There's so much of this season, and frankly, the show in general is so much about people trying to make peace with uncertainty, and they're no, not being answers, and they're just being this slow, dull grieving of existence, which is very much less sounds like someone have, who had an emotional hangover from loss and the need for answers. I mean, you can do that sort of armchair um, uh, psychology with this, yeah. but I would say. I kind of wasn't meta-watching it, and the reason I liked the first episode more was because I felt like the, the things that make TV good, like traditional things, like moving from here to here, like um, introducing characters in the right way, giving us characters that we want to continue watching, that was all being done in a way that it hadn't been in the first season, and like yeah. this is something I wrote in the piece that- It also moved fast. Like Justin Theroux is like, it just moved fast. It yeah. moved, period. Exactly. It just felt like there was some, some it was dynamic, and he's he's- the two best episodes last season, I think everyone would agree, were the more or less standalone episodes, one with Christopher Eccleston's character and one with Carrie Coon's character. Mm-hmm. And this season is not specifically like that or like Lost, but each episode that I've seen chooses a point of view, not one character so much as one plot line. And then they overlap and we see them from different angles. You know, you, um, uh, but just, you, the, just the thing about, about Kevin Garvey, like, he was just essentially a frustrating, reactive character. Because he was just enduring the suffering. And we, we've only known John Murphy now for an hour. But, I mean, this man is out there lighting fires, quite yeah. literally. And that is that is much more engaging as a traditional television fan.
1: So I, you mentioned Lost a couple of times. And um, the, over the weekend, I went to a restaurant in like, the Arts District or Little Tokyo. And we drove over. The story is already great. The, we drove over the uh, part of the L.A. River, the bridge that Jack almost kills himself on in Lost. Yeah, And um, that made me think when I was watching of uh, Leftovers, I was thinking a lot about that episode over the weekend. We're well, not like a lot, but, you know, it came up. And I was thinking about when Jack listens to In Utero. Right? Isn't it In Utero? Yeah, He's listening to Nirvana, but isn't yeah. he listening to In Utero? And that's how... I think so. That's just like, that was such like a lightning bolt moment. And um, I kind of hope that there's an In Utero moment on The Leftovers. And by that, I mean something really specific, which is that... uh. The Mark Lynn Baker gag and per, the Perfect Strangers character gag where it's like you see on CNN that the guy from Perfect Strangers d- faked his own, yeah. you know, disappearance or whatever. That's one thing. But that moment where he's listening to Nirvana did so much and so little of a gesture to place his character on a timeline, uh, you know, socio-culturally, emotionally, um, all these it did all these things just by having that person interacting with some semblance of our world and one of the Mm -hmm. things i think has been a little bit of a hurdle for me to get into this show is that everybody's wearing old navy clothes like everybody is anonymous and i know that that's probably part of the, the, the 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 idea in the beginning is to kind of not overly tip a hand towards what time it is in in history or who's president or who was president or whatever you know but it would be great if somebody listened to young Doug, you know what I mean. On this, like, if 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 somebody was, if there was a that's interesting, cor- like, if there was a relationship between these people and a cultural world around them to give this story a little bit more of an identity, and I know that that's like that I, seems cheap, like that's a Tarantino gesture or whatever, but I actually just miss that part of st- that. That's a really essential part I, of storytelling for me.
0: I I don't think it's cheap because I think what you're suggesting. um, in in the abstract is something that I really agree with, which is I simply don't recognize this world as our own. Not because we have we haven't suffered the rapture, but because no matter what happens in our life here at IRL in terms of tragedies, there is always a, a dark humor that surrounds right. it. Right? Even like the there kids last season who multi- were partying
1: felt a little generic. You know what I mean? Like let's yes, choke each other. The, yeah. Right? In
0: our world, there's. There's always a multitude of reactions to things. That's yeah. what makes it real. There's a person who makes the inappropriate joke. There's, you know, there's, there's a great tradition, you know, of people who just who laugh at funerals. Like, I mean, in good, like, when you're, you're with your family and you laugh about things in a moment that shouldn't be laughter, and that's yeah. suddenly something you recognize. And there was none of that. It was so oppressively depressed in the first season. So I noted the Perfect Strangers thing only because it showed a little bit of a wink um, that maybe there was some humor here, that maybe there was someone who took yeah, advantage it of this as a yeah. positive. The, 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 the other thing that you said though about the music my biggest complaint about this season by far is the use of music it gets it is so heavy-handed oh really and it gets even more heavy-handed in the in the episodes to come um they use a lot of um a term i just learned the diegetic music you know where it's in the oh, scene. stuff that's like in the scene so it's like yeah. like 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 the way david simon does it on the wire there's no you yeah there was like a whole thing i wrote about
1: the, that in show me a hero yeah yeah oh, by the use that's of right. diegetic and diegetic. yeah
0: Yes, uh, I learned it from I learned it from you. I learned it by watching sure. you that word. Um, but it, there's something about it that is so heavy-handed again that it doesn't allow the characters just to have the emotions. And so Kevin Garvey when he comes back in a bigger way next week, he has his pain iPod again. You know, where okay. he sticks his earbuds in and just listens to like like Meat Beat Manifesto, which is just, you know, as most upstate cops do. And it's just it's too 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 much, you know. There's there's a there's a vibe in the third episode there's like some buddy rich drum solos inappropriately soundtracking a scene and it's it's too razzmatazz. okay like i would rather i would rather just a little plaintive young thug in the background (laughs) i agree with you on that absolutely but but here's can we just we should probably move on but the bigger picture that i wanted to say about this is i think it's worth noting that um the show makes me angry often like i often think that i hate it yeah but I can say that, and I can also say that I'm really impressed with how it's made and how it's how it's um, responded to the criticism. And you know, in the piece, I said it was sort of like a religious test. Like there are people I'm actually envious of people who are true believers because it seems like they are getting a richness out of the show that I can't quite get yet. Yeah, but it, it is it is it is worthy of discussion. You know, not just because our voices are ringing out on the Warner Brothers lot right now. You know, hopefully in a in rich rich surround sound
1: i hope yeah i hope it is like a jamaican sound system like like going going to to being driven around the lot (laughs) um i will say that the way that they have you know the after this first episode of the second season i feel compelled to watch in a way that i definitely would not have if it was just a continuation of the first season story uh i probably would have just watched out of professional sort of um obligation much in the way that i feel like i'm watching homeland (laughs) oh homeland! <laughs> no, GTFO, not the same. man gtfo man what you're out yeah man come on i don't That's know a good like, hour that was a good <sighs> um okay so it's not that there's it's not that the, it's there was an appreciable like talent or like c- creativity drop off on homeland that bothered me as much as like i just i'm i'm just good with like the 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 place where this story is gone i'm just like i'm okay with like there's nothing about uh what they're gonna tell me this year about secrets and government agencies and the intermingling of pseudo charitable organizations and terrorist organizations or hackers or carrie's choice of like practical purses that i just don't need it anymore man like i think we're good and i think that this actually speaks to a larger issue with like When you get to season five or season six of a show and you kind of wonder about some of these other shows, like, especially this is a Showtime thing, especially where you're just like, but why?
0: I have to begin by saying I'm a little surprised that you are not more personally invested in a show in which the heroine has such a deep and abiding thing for redheaded men. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's kind of psychological at this point. Yeah. She's got a type, you yeah. know, and I just feel like season nine, young Chris Ryan could step into those <laughs> shoes, you know, and, and take a ride on the tequila tilter world. Yeah, right. Like, that could be you. Right. Where would it be um, set? Like, Galway? That is, <laughs> like Just that walking is, along the, it's up to th- <laughs> the western cliffs of Ireland? I think Ireland. it's going to be set, like, no, it's going to be set by, like, in Fairmount in Philadelphia. Wherever you know, it's set, like it has to be somewhere where
1: Carrie Matheson could plausibly get a bag put over her head and thrown into a van.
0: Has again, anybody ever thought to be like, would you mind a taking a ride with me? What's that? <laughs> Again, Philadelphia remains a perfectly viable That's place <laughs> to set the show I mean, we've all had bags thrown over our head there at different moments <laughs> um, I think you're, you're, what you're speaking to is a, There are a couple points there Because one, I would love to know what's up with Showtime and their development process Because it remains true that while they have made very, very, very many good shows um, Some of which I still enjoy They've yet to make a great sustained show Right. Um, masters of sex went off a cliff this year um, homeland I, I'm going to argue momentarily why I think it's still worthwhile but it, it certainly does not have the the, the must see spark that good shows maintain well into their older years and that is very odd to me and I and I wonder if it's a question of green lighting shows that really don't have the sustaining backbone you know this, mm-hmm. the, the, the question that can c- continue to be asked for multiple years or if there's just something in the way they manage or give notes I don't know and I would love to know um the only show like the best show the best and most long-running show that they've had i think is probably shameless which is good precisely because it's essentially an old-fashioned family kind of dramedy i mean it, it, it's it's out there in the subject right matter well it it's not about, like it it's not built on a of, premise
1: like dexter or uh like whatever where it's like you, how much longer can this guy possibly keep murdering people or whatever
0: yeah it's not how built many on how affairs ground, can these people have <laughs> It, I mean, apparently limitless number of affairs. Um, but but, you're, but it's interesting because I think we're going to sort of land on the same emotional point with Homeland, but mm-hmm. we're taking it in different ways. I mean, my reaction to this show at this point isn't too far removed from the shrugging emoji. But I'm kind of looking at that as a positive because I, 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 it's it's been fascinating. I mean, I've, I don't think I've written about any show as much as Homeland. Like that show, and this is what I wrote in my column about it last week, this show has sort of like traced the arc of my time Trying to be a professional writer about t v right um you know the the crazy Carrie Matheson great attack board of my professional <laughs> career and um you know it it chased the dragon man, it chased the small mouthed red haired dragon. this is a show that like flirted with greatness it won and it had an almost perfect first season it uh, won the Emmy it had the attention of the president and many of the president's citizens of America uh, but that in and of itself was not sustainable and so what I saw when I watched this season anyway and the third season was kind of a mess and we talked a lot about the fourth season the hangover of the Brody years lingered until basically the end of last season mm-hmm. where we kind of both got back on board um, this season struck me as it's the kind of like decent B B plus spy show that it always could or should have been like this is essentially a kind of international law and order for the drone. Yeah, I mean, now, it definitely you can just takes sort of ripped take from take the you, headlines. You can to take like the headlines. The, yeah. you rip from the headlines, you can set it anywhere in the world and you just throw all these things into a pot and then see how they shake out. Yeah. And for me, like, I liked that it was filmed in Berlin. I love the new cast editions. I like the way they move the world forward. I really like Dark Quinn. I wish the show was about Dark Quinn. I love Dark, Dark Quinn. Quinn. Yeah. The, um, the,
1: even the, and the Quinn speech in that CIA briefing room where he's like, either... Send in 200,000 troops with just as many teachers and doctors, or turn it into a parking lot is yeah. it being and those two poles of sort of a reaction to an international crisis being held within the same person, and how much complexity that sort of suggests about people in his kind of job. Uh, yeah. it was fascinating, you know what I mean? And I wish Kerry had more chances to say things like that rather than being tied to a chair and having to be like. Hezbollah customs mean that you have to tell him that I asked for permission to come. You know, it's just. It, I, I guess like it's it's sort of like I, I think the 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 problem or the reasons why I'm like I don't really want to watch this. Are, it, it, it can be encapsulated in that blogger character, and you know, television just doesn't do bloggers well mm-hmm. or r- journalists particularly well. Um, But just like some person who I like, we have no idea who that person is. Just barging into rooms, being like, "I'm going to publish CIA documents unless you do that." Like, I I just felt like really jammed in there, and and this is sort of an issue sometimes. And we talked about the leftovers' relationship to the real world. Like, maybe there's just too much real world in Homeland. Maybe there's just like a little too much, like, let's get Snowden and the Syria crisis and the refugee crisis and
0: all, and And you know Germany's
1: precarious place in Europe and.
0: And apparently, Charlie Hebdo is coming in before the season is over. I'm kidding. I've only Seriously? Seen three episodes. Well, that, the quotes that Alex Gonza gave at uh, TCA suggested that that was there too. Yeah, like they, they're just riffing on all these events, and sometimes they get really lucky because obviously this episode was written and filmed months ago, but you know it debuted. Yeah, right I mean at they're talking about Rocca. I mean, like Rocco was fields. all over
1: the New York Times on Sunday.
0: Um, so I, I kind of I'm, I I told totally, I do agree with that. The, for me, the blogger character was more problematic just because she was she, she was just kind of an asshole and yeah. like i feel like that's really limited and it's it's interesting that i mean in general it's generally accurate when it comes to bloggers but i think that um but i feel like the show tries really hard up to a point and then it reverts, whether because it becomes too difficult or because it's just more dramatically feasible to to revert to to easier binaries. But like you said, we have the Quinn speech, which is sort of interesting and provocative. And we have a character like Sebastian Koch's character, and he's the guy who was in The Lives of Others who plays during the... Um, the Billionaire. The, uh, you know, Carrie's new boss. Yeah. Um, who seems sort of morally ambiguous or interesting in a certain way. But one thing that Homeland generally does is it sort of sneaks up to the the line... And then anyone who is kind of left-wing is revealed to be either an asshole or a dum-dum. Yeah. Like, it's just sort of like an innocent, blinkered, like, you know, uh, just someone who's not capable of playing on the big boy stage. And that's not frustrating to me because I myself am slightly, uh, extremely left-leaning. It's because... (laughs) it would be more interesting if they weren't. Like, it's just more interesting drama that rather than having some of the CIA being, well, you don't understand the way the world works. By the way, here's how Hezbollah works. You know, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's kind of limiting. Yeah. By the way, not to, you know, I, I understand that, you know, Hezbollah is kind of a, a hot button issue in the <laughs> world, but are those hospitality rules, like, those don't seem like, like, would you have rules like that for a party that you were throwing?
1: Uh, I guess it's... You know what it, I mean? Like,
0: like, if, if I... If, if if you were having a birthday party yeah. and I talked to someone and someone came to me, someone you didn't like came to me and was like, I know Chris doesn't like me, but I heard he's having a really cool party this weekend. You know, um, maybe making some some cocktails with spiced rum and that La Croix water, that's <laughs> coconut flavored. Yeah. Um, could I go? Loose. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, but I'm like, I say yes. And then this person you hate shows up and that person is like, guess what? I get to be here and drink your Pomplamoose water because Andy said so. Yeah,
1: she seemed to be applying, like, vampire rules to getting into the house. You know, it's like, <laughs> I must be invited. You know, it's like, I, I... That that part didn't really, uh... Didn't really, like, distract me as much as the blogger. <laughs> I just want to say... <laughs> what if much Claire did the entire season as Count now. Chocula?
0: <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Even now, in 2015, <laughs> in a Twilight world, Chris Ryan's default vampire voice is a cartoon on a cereal box <laughs> you know
1: it's I the mean? most distinctive <laughs> like vampire still voice what oh, should i do gary oldman from bram stoker's dracula
0: <laughs> yes or or perhaps that dashing rogue edward from the beloved twilight series he doesn't you know? have an
1: accent in that movie that's british shot through like you know i've been alive for 600 years and now live in the pacific the, northwest the the jokes on you i've
0: never seen that movie i don't know what he talks like um come on yeah, Homeland. It's 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 fine. It's fine. It's fine, and I feel okay saying Yo, that. It's are fine you are right you then? a little you know, bit tapped out that... on hackers? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, after I mean, Mr. Robot, after Mr. Robot like, yeah, yeah. I just feel like I'm. I I can I could just take a break from code for a minute. You know. There's just some. But there's a
0: couple things like that,
1: and then, it's there, like is a hacking. Really like that, that, where, that where, you... where you're always on the verge of getting like a terabyte of files.
0: You, ne- you never know, yeah. you know, because, for example, when I was running um, my uncle's live sex cam show, um, you know, a couple years ago, <laughs> you just got to keep the door open. Barry Greenwald's and live stuff-
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> First of all, I have that URL. Secondly, you never know what's going to get dumped on your doorstep. Yeah. But here- here's something I want to suggest. Like. You and I, Chris, you know, like yeah. we're we're soldiers in the tre- in the trenches of television. You know what I mean? Like we are out there on the front lines of culture. Sure, okay, just operating under Hezbollah rules whenever possible. You can only and come in if you're invited. Weirdly, that's also the official motto of Barry Greenwald's sex. <laughs> you can only come in if you're invited, and you can never leave. Um, never leave. Listen. But what I'd like to imagine is that, you know, the way that we are covering this whole vibrant industry, the totality of it, right? So we're talking about we're making cross-show, cross-network comparisons constantly. I kind of wish that that spirited dialogue existed within the writers' rooms as well. And I'm sure it does to some degree. But the reason I'm saying this is I wish the people who made Homeland or the people who make Showtime Television Network – looked around and obviously they couldn't have seen mr robot because of the production but if they'd seen mr robot been like we have to raise the game if we're going to do hacking because that's the new benchmark similarly we can handle subtitles now and in fact subtitles keep me much more engaged in the in the action than like lightly accented german english right you know like that that seems so phony to me that every time she meets a hezbollah commander he's like you can speak to me in english (laughs) blonde woman <laughs> you know like let us converse could, yeah. But, yeah yeah but sh- it, so I, I wish that we could trade things like that like okay this is where we are now let's do a quick diagnostic of the industry subtitles okay they're yeah. fine now i know i
1: mean it's funny because like i always remember um the scottish russian of hunt for an october as being kind of like the <laughs> point where i was just like oh yeah that guy's not russian that's that's james bond <laughs> with a with a beard yeah we,
0: we, we weirdly the first 30 years of sean connery's career you thought he was russian like even in dr no
1: and then and then you know once you get you follow that along and there's like some a lot most times it's just like people speaking you know russian with with british accents or whatever or speaking english with russian accents or whatever but then you get to inglorious bastards and i just after that movie i was just kind of like why am i ever watching anybody ever pretend to be anything but speaking the
0: language they're supposed to be speaking interestingly the downside of that comes not for us but comes sometimes to native speakers because you know there's a little show that you and i liked earlier this year it was called uh what was it called (laughs) narcos oh yeah that one right so we talked about that and that was full of subtitles yeah but if you were a native spanish speaker you would notice that the accents were so insanely all over the place. You but know, who from, needs to from be a native Spanish speaker when Boyle, Boyd Holbrook
1: is explaining the entire thing to you? He is the subtitle. <laughs> it's, it's really That's true. That's his entire character it's, is a subtitle.
0: He is special agent subtitle. You're totally right about that. But I was going to mention how how the star whose name I still actually don't know how to say due to my lack of Portuguese, but um, I got roasted Mora. on Twitter for that. He, so
1: it's Wagner something, but I'm not going to go go with his last name again.
0: Why? Well, i took that one i took that one for you that's why i said it but but so he but he showed up apparently he said this in interviews to the set thinking he's like well this won't be so bad i'll just speak you know i'll just speak english and they were like oh no 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 you have to learn <laughs> spanish right now and he's like i literally speak portuguese that's not the same thing and boyd holbrook was like let me tell you why it's yeah. not the same thing <laughs> spanish and, <laughs> and portuguese speaks... aren't the same language. Little something called romance languages. (laughs) Let me tell you about it. And then he just quite quickly, furiously typing romance languages into Wikipedia.
1: Hey, before we move on, let's take a break in today's podcast to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. It's the best way for fans to save money on sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. It's basically like Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek also has technology called Deal Score that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map, and bad deals are shown as small red dots. So it's easy to see at a glance which tickets will save you the most money for a limited time only use promo code hollywood in the SeatGeek geek app or website and get a twenty dollar rebate off your first SeatGeek geek purchase again to redeem your promo code and save twenty dollars use hollywood like the name of our podcast to save on your first SeatGeek geek purchase today is there anything else that you would like to address
0: that I'd like to address yeah, um, like in the world in the of world popular world of television?
1: television. Yeah, I mean like I I enjoyed the uh, first episode of Home, of Homeland of Good Wife. Uh
0: I'm sure you did not watch. Yeah. No, what do you think about the uh, Archie Punjabi Fanning the Flames today? Did you see that? Um so Punjabi's only really
1: shown up other than being uh like a CSI person in the fall for a couple of seasons. Mm. She's only really got like chipped up by being a newscaster in San Andreas. So, I just couldn't help but feel like she was she was maybe hating a little bit because cause things aren't working out great for her. I hope Archie Punjabi doesn't listen to this show because I actually am a big fan of her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you sissy. Um,
1: holler at me, Archie. Uh, but it's just it just seemed weird. So, Julie, I don't know if you guys care, but good wife, Juliana Margulies, and Archie Punjabi, they play these two characters. They were really good friends at the beginning of the first, show.
0: First of all, stop, stop there. <laughs> I love when Wait. you break down TV on the granular level. You're like they're both human actresses, and on a TV show they play characters. I also just
1: went back eight you need me to years, slow it down. so like as soon as I said, I don't know if you guys know, and then I was realizing I was
0: starting in like 2006 like, with my recap like, here. Like. Fun fact, listeners: the character of Carol Hathaway was meant to die in the pilot you know what? Of the yard. I'm getting ahead of myself.
1: There's a lady who walks out of a cave. <laughs> Yes! Um, Anyway, there was beef on the set of of Good Wife, but Juliana Margulies tried to be like, nah, it's all good, and Archie Majabi was like, it ain't all good. Ain't nothing sweet on the Good Wife set.
0: I like that, too, because that was she did that on Twitter. And like I I looked at her Twitter page, just expecting it to just be like just flames. Yeah. Just like literally just just her just just firing off diss tracks. But yeah. like she's tweeted three times in the last six months. And, and one of them was like, you know, support our wounded heroes, like donate to <laughs> wounded dog charities or whatever. And it's just like. And then also under her bio, it says, "This is the Twitter page of actress Archie Punjabi yeah, who plays a, a character on television on Twitter." <laughs> <laughs> but so someone decided to just George Bush the button, you know. Someone was like, "This isn't working out, so we need to." Someone got a smartphone really to step the yeah. Seriously, uh, good wife was good. Uh, I, to, to, to be fair um, to your your the person who to, of whom you are a really big fan, Archie Panjabi, uh, she does have a development deal for a, her own show. Which, Can't wait. Maybe maybe she just got some notes. A little that bit of a Baranski happen, heel know. turn, though. No, I mean, what's I up with my girl? It,
1: I think it'll all work out in the end. But she was a little bit, l- little bit cold to to uh, What was she? Uh, what was she wearing? How was her necklace game? <sighs> I was so distracted by uh, Alan Cummings' hair that I, I didn't notice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's amazing. Like I, I only experienced that show through the. Um, Do you watch geometry any CBS shows at all? I don't watch television really like I've worked just just gonna be honest but I wanted to say that like Good Wife uh, my experience of it over time is that Alan Cummings hair has gotten higher yeah and uh, Christine Baranski's necklaces are like hanging like it's like that Kanye song it's just her chains just hang so heavy seriously
1: she's got like nine Jesus pieces on
0: (laughs) I feel like I would not be surprised if she was wearing like a door knocker from the house (laughs) of black and white from the last season of Game of Thrones. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, do I watch any CBS shows? Um, let me really think about this. This is a dope conversation. No. <laughs> did you watch Code Black? No. Did you watch Code Black? I did not. That was pretty good. Was it? Um, I. Yeah. I mean, if you liked ER 20 years ago, it's fine. Our, Louis Guzman is in it. Except I like it when Louis Guzman plays a nice guy. He doesn't usually get to do that. He's good. Is it's Louis, Louis Guzman any other Louis television Guzman shows like, right now? Probably. But they're probably all in oh, CBS, gosh. and I haven't, you haven't seen them. He's on Narcos. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I thought you meant like I know that's why I was mentioning him, but I thought you meant is he on any other like like many, many more? Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you did you think I forgot they that... played Gotcha? <laughs> of gotcha. <laughs> like, like, course not. First of all, that's a pretty dope name. Um, yeah. That, that, here, here is something I wanted to say. This is do, do you know about um? You listen at all to to this band No Devotion? You listen to that?
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the, the sort of situation with their record label or?
0: I, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to give like a, a good HP podcast shout out to those dudes because this album is good. Um, and they've had some really <laughs> rotten luck, I would say. Yeah. Why don't you so explain this this that band? Yeah. So this is the, there was this band called Lost Profits that I was not that into. And they were a, a kind of a screamo band um, from, from the country of Wales and uh they had a they had a pretty big run in the uk and they had a fine career and they were playing shows and you know doing okay around the world and then it was revealed that their singer was an absolute monster from the gates of hell and basically was thrown in prison hopefully where he will never return from for uh uh sex crimes against children like the like the most awful stuff imaginable and that's what happened to their singer and, you know, they obviously broke up and they, they took time and then they hooked up with uh, Jeff Rickley, who is the singer of a band called Thursday, who is one of the kindest best people I've ever met in the music industry, a, a real mensch, I would say, um, although not if I was negotiating access to a Hezbollah camp. And... He, and so he's a singer. They formed a band, No Devotion. It's a political the episode. The band is You're really right good. <laughs> the, I know. We're edgy. We're edgy. Anyway, the album's called Permanence. It's really good. And it's. I always liked Thursday a lot. But I always thought that Jeff kind of secretly wanted to be in a new wave band or maybe playing arenas. And this is just very, very soaring, melodic, British, 80s-influenced. I, I won't even say punk anymore. Post, post-punk, post but very melodic. And then the week his al- this album finally comes out, after all this turmoil, it's revealed that on jeff rickley's own record label the guy who is funding his record label is the dude who bought an aids drug and jacked the price up five thousand dollars <laughs> like that sucks yeah so it's like they're experiencing the worst crimes on both sides of the ball here um they jettison contact with that guy and maybe the label's gonna collapse i don't know but the record's good and you should listen to it on spotify that was my political like here's something good for the day that's something good. i mean you, you look. I took my not not that the guy raised the price but, you know hey it's capitalism <laughs> no no I mean just no, like the, yes, album, the the album is good I wasn't the album that. is good like I I'm just saying you, I used our platform to champion like an unheralded band you used it to talk about an Emmy award winning CBS procedural so I'm just saying yeah I that's think I true came out on top there
1: um, I could talk to you a little bit about the Martian which is uh, as good as everybody is saying but you yeah. know I was wondering if you had seen a lot of Martian commercials.
0: I, wouldn't it be worse if I admitted that I don't see movies, but I'm really into commercials for movies?
1: Well, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, that if you would were, be sort of. But the point is, is that I I, I saw it like on a really big widescreen, and it was excellent, and it was just so well made. And yeah, it definitely is a like. What happens if Ridley Scott doesn't have a script that has an extra hundred pages in it? It's pretty pretty good movie, you know. Like, um, but what's interesting is I didn't like. You kind of have a feeling. Earmuffs that uh like Matt Damon's gonna make it because that would be pretty raw if like they made that whole movie and then they were like, yeah, psyche dies on Mars, <laughs> and that's why yeah. he's the Martian. <laughs> like he fertilizes,
0: my man fertilizes his own potato plants forever. <laughs>
1: um, but I didn't feel like I saw a lot of the movie in the advertisements, and I wasn't like seeking out Martian trailers, but just like from watching football or whatever, you see an ad like five times. There aren't a lot of beats in the story that. Uh, that I found like particularly surprising, and I think that that's something that I'm noticing more and more with uh, the way that they advertise movies. I, I notice this actually like a lot of the Juarez raid in yeah. Sicario is in the trailer, and that is one of the most yes. thrilling things you'll see in a movie theater this year. But if you watch the trailer, like uh, like all the beats of it are in the trailer, um, so it's it's like yeah. an interesting thing. Like I I, I was I I, lo- I really enjoyed the movie, but I do miss going in a little bit more cold to the theater
0: i mean i definitely try and avoid as much as possible yeah now more than ever because i think what's changed is i think i'm going to you know, do the, that the with trailer used to be an ad adver- yeah i think that would be good if we can do it but yeah. i think that the the, the the trailers used to be just you know simple advertisements for the movies but now they have to be events in and of themselves in order to get people to watch them in the hopes that then they'll want to watch the movie because yeah you know we have to there's so much distraction we have to basically be put on a leash and led through the 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 promotional cycle of a movie. Um there's no no question about that. I had a Martian take. I really want to see it. That's my first take. My second take though is you know you know we've sort of become maybe self-styled but the ombudsman of celebrity profiles. Maybe oh yeah you want to talk about, about Damon? Of, uh, well here's what I wanted to say and then I'll I'll take my answer off air. Um because I'm just I'm literally gonna leave <laughs> um <laughs> So a bunch of people wanted us to talk. This happened, I think, right when you were coming back from vacation. But people wanted us to talk about Terrence Howard's profile in Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. where he's basically like, math math is lies. I am math. <laughs> but here's the thing. Terrence Howard kind of can't get crazier. Like, I, I think, I think a, a guy we used to know would refer to the Tyson zone. Like, I feel like Terrence Howard, in his public persona... Like, once he started talking about women carrying baby wipes everywhere, like, it's Terrence Howard. Like, yeah. I just cannot believe that he is functioning and making a TV show that's doing well. Right. So, it, I don't think it hurts his brand to say something nuts. In fact, In fact everyone's it's like, expected. Terrence is Terrancing again.
1: Having, like, you, yes. there will be, like, as long one as... round of Terrence Howard is leveled out profiles, but as soon as that happens, yes. no one's going to care anymore. right.
0: That's right. The, the, what was really shocking about what happened last week with Matt Damon, and this is purely from a, you know, a, a PR perspective, which is the perspective I try to take on all events yeah. in my life and in the lives of doctors. others, <laughs> is that it was particularly weird for Damon to say two really off-putting things and to come off in a very off-putting way the week that a movie is released that hinges in its totality on him being likable and worth saving. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a very unique situation. Not just because Damon's brand, for the most part, has been pretty immaculate. Like, what's his reputation been? Like, he's a nice guy and loves his wife? Like, that's pretty much the book sure. on him.
1: Well, I just, we <laughs> don't know much about Matt Damon, which is probably exactly what he wants, how he likes it.
0: Not yes, saying that he but, has, like, I, you, a, know, a, even... you know,
1: even like an underground chicken fighting ring, but like, I mean, nobody knows a lot about Matt Damon. So it's like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> would you be. Would you be upset about that? Like, no. I had, I had chicken for lunch. I don't care how it died. No. I, I'm sorry. Like, no. whether, whether it died in, like a, like, a cruelty-free facility or in Matt Damon's basement. I'm interested in, in bringing jobs That's back cool. to this country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whether they are chicken-killing jobs, regardless. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it, it's just an odd thing. And so it, it, that just struck me. I mean, we could get in. This is not even worth getting into unless we want to take this off air and take this conversation literally to a hezbollah camp <laughs> like the How many more times should I say four it? times in this show <laughs> i know i'm glad you were counting um, only i only twice. Like what he said was just, <laughs> that's true but once you get me going i'm like a lit fuse um, i he just struck me as just like just just being like very insensitive and not thinking before he spoke and not even con- perceiving how what he said would be received in any way so that strikes me as someone who is used to just being with his wife they're like nine children on the upper west side you know quietly tending to the chicken fighting ring (laughs) down below like he's just not used he's just not used to it but it didn't Uh, seem to ding his brand it didn't the movie did okay right i don't yeah i think that i think a lot of that stuff
1: exists inside of like a a bubble of people who like notice profiles and then watch like talk shows to watch a guy apologize for what he said in a profile which is definitely owed some people an apology for sure but
0: what and then those people then tweeted us and they're like well what did you guys think about it and then we have to get serious for a minute
1: uh serious yeah i mean i i I just matt damon's not my boy i mean i hope he i hope he's not like a jerk off but like i don't need him do you wish he
0: was though a little a a little
1: bit (laughs) i mean i have a chicken he might be interested in it's
0: been looking (laughs) very very a lot of nice plumage let me just say, is he a rooster? Do you know the difference anymore? Listen, <laughs> let's just remember where we are, though. <laughs> this could work out really well. Yeah. From a PR standpoint. Again, Matt Damon. Again, which is my only standpoint. From Matt Damon, because this could be... So being the face and star of the number one movie all around the world could be a low point for him. Because you've got to remember what he's doing right now. Making What point. he's doing right now in, like, Thailand and Marseille yeah. and lots of other dope places that we don't even know and about
1: And they were, yet. like, in the one... He's, picture he's they released
0: born i know he ma-
1: he's making born and the only picture they've released is him having like is like doing bare knuckle boxing in like
0: romania yeah.
1: <laughs> which is, is a joke place no... to do bare knuckle boxing
0: that's the only place i've done it as far as i know that's how you spent your summer vacation i that's why I'm i just so feel cut. like i've reached yeah. a point maybe <laughs> that sweater's just covering it's it. like i've just been fighting you don't want, a, you don't want to you sh- <laughs> don't want to shock anyone um I think I've reached a point where I, I can't. I could never get enough. porn. like we've been a- away from it long enough that that's cool. I don't really need to know the backstory of what Albert Finney yeah. did to him. I know. I just want him doing you know crab maga fighting in dark places. Shad,
1: t- treadstone, <laughs> whatever.
0: <laughs> Honestly, would you get upset if this movie started with with uh, Chris Cooper like, just like walking into a boardroom and opening a, <laughs> opening a binder? No, like of that not. dude died I in the first any, movie. Any would you care?
1: Every single show and movie. <laughs> that I watch could open with Chris Cooper walking into a room and opening a binder. Yeah. What's, what I is what is wrong with that? What is wrong with that? If he just opens There's, it up, he's like, page one, chicken fighting, and it's Chris Cooper talking about that for like
0: yes. an hour and a half. I would be into it. And th- No, right, and then Edward Norton comes in and is like, you don't even understand the beginning of a chicken, you know, and then just like flips the table, yeah. which is an egg, by the way. Yeah. I, I, last thing, we're, we're, we're vamping, and I do want to go full circle, but... I like I the more the more it sort of seeps in to my brain, my brain bed. I really like what you said about homeland maybe being too real. Because there is some there is a strong argument to be made for aesthetics, a strong argument to be made for style yeah. and tone that are not of this earth. And like Fargo's coming back at uh, the beginning of, of next week and we talked about last week why that's good and it just takes you to a different place that is highly stylized and really engaging and it felt great to be back there. But you know, I'm doing a, a New York Comic Con this week. I'm doing two panels. I'm doing Mr. Robot on Friday. I'm doing one with the cast and crew of Banshee on Thursday. <laughs>
1: what are you doing to me here?
0: Everyone here Aren't is invited. Are you part of the cast
1: and crew it's of the Banshee? Old-
0: it's the old, yes, it's the old hospitality rules we were referring to earlier. You Everyone here Am- is welcome. Amish
1: Barry Greenwald.
0: <laughs>
1: Barry Greenwald had to hide out. The Amish like, Jewish live sex show performer.
0: Barry Greenwald. Do you know, do you know what my staff can do Come with a butter churn? Come on in, turn? I got a
1: fresh soft pretzel.
0: <laughs> and I slaughter chickens, but that's not what you think it means. Listen, I just brought up Banshee. <laughs> I brought up Banshee, not just for self-promotion not just for (laughs) self-promotion but because that show is so good i know you don't watch it no there's no way it it could be as good as you're saying it is unless you're on it playing an amish
1: jewish fair enough
0: (laughs) i just wanted to say uh, why why do i like a show (laughs) it is the most violent even without the character of my (laughs) black sheep uncle (laughs) just churning just churning furiously churning dairy um even without that, I don't know why I like this show. It is so violent, Chris. Like I, I will rewatch the end of last season. Do you know how many times people get hit? How many fingers get shot off with guns? Like it is gnarly. <laughs> but it's stylized, man. They're yeah. having fun with it, and I appreciate that. And final final season. It doesn't right? all have to be. Final season coming in January. Yeah. yeah.
1: So Homeland is just should one, be one more of the things like I'll Fancy, talk about. Right. <laughs> yes. Leftovers should be more like Homeland. <laughs>
0: yeah chris cooper should be 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 more
1: like the martian and that damon and archie punjabi chicken fighting ring be out out in the open because nobody will judge him
0: except archie punjabi who's just coming out firing heat rocks darts
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh i say goodbye to you until next week goodbye to the leftovers
0: writing room bye guys thanks (laughs) thanks for checking in as always uh leftovers (laughs) writing room i think i hope you guys order some good takeout this week um, definitely get some of that pomple water in there. I really, Chris, I just want to say, I really am proud of us because I think we fixed culture this week. Yeah, I, I think do, it's been I, a long term project. Like, like it's, it's been like kind of a down low, like goal of ours, but we did it. <laughs> yeah. we have did fun, it. have and, fun at your computer, Barry. <laughs> for this week and all weeks, I say, great job, Baranski. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earbuds. Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.